1: Mike's on? What up, dude? Yo, bro, how you living? I'm good. You're just running us through how much you think we
2: suck relative to uh, our other podcast No, peers. no, no. I was commenting on yes. <laughs> 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 I said Logan Paul had an excellent podcast this week where he spoke to his editor who edited the Suicide Forest thing. If you haven't watched it, you can go do it. But he tells a bit of the story around what happened to him because he edited the Suicide Forest. And as everyone knows, Logan became public enemy number one. Yeah. But his crew stuck with him. And this guy had the exact opposite happen, which is nobody knew his name and all of his friends abandoned him. Yeah, And it was, uh, it was fascinating. is it, it was really interesting to hear people, uh, what it's like when everyone that you thought liked you just turns coat and hates you. pales on you because yeah. of something you did for work or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know enough about his story, but I feel grateful that I don't think that would. <laughs> well, we can compete with that. <laughs> Quick, tell me a time you were depressed suicidal would be best but any sort of depression will be
1: sufficient for the audience after
2: my breakup (laughs) I already did this story. I'm extremely extremely fortunate. I think everybody has trials and tribulations, but on the whole I'm certainly on the side of the bell curve that I would prefer to be on which is it's been pretty pretty great so far. Yeah Not me, dude. Yeah. Yeah, you've had it. I grew up up
1: (laughs) on the streets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Raised by wolves. Yeah. I mean, My loving mom is definitely not watching this podcast right now. You didn't get a pool till you were how old? <sighs>
2: Probably till I was ten. Yeah. And then you didn't have your second hot tub until you were in high school. No, also ten. I think. <laughs> you got both also of them. 10. The deck hot tub. The company. deck hot tub came first.
1: The deck hot tub came before my parents could really afford it. I think my my uncle and a friend of my dad's from work came and
2: built the whole deck. Yeah, It's it, hilarious. It's like dress for the job you want. Yeah, buy a yeah. house that you'd like to be able to afford. Yeah, that's not sound financial advice. It happened to work out in this particular. Scenario. It did work out.
1: I didn't know, dude. You know what's cool? I think cool. I, apparently, there was some financial stress dude, when I was when I was thirteen things were tight i had no idea i had the stupidest most expensive bar mitzvah i mean not crazy but like it was five figures Mm -hmm. my parents never said a word about the fact that they were thinking about leaving the house and downsizing yeah can't believe it if i had a kid and i was like "Ooh, we might have to leave the house and he's like i want a party it's gonna be five (laughs) figures like cool your bar mitzvah is in the backyard sorry bud
2: I've got this written in my phone, which is intergenerational wealth transfer, (laughs) which in the case of bar mitzvahs is your parents' generation to the 13-year-olds who often in the Jewish community use it for a down payment on a home or to not have college debt or or all of these things that give them a leg up in their early 20s. -hmm. And I was watching Sam Harris talk to Eric Weinstein, and they talked about the university as the opposite of that, which is intergenerational wealth transfer from the young to the old. Mm. They give you these loans because, of course, you don't have any money at that point. And they follow you around. Literally, you can't go bankrupt. If you die, they pass on to your guarantor. <laughs> they're they're the most stringent loans that have ever existed in in modern American American society. Yeah, it's insane. And it's effectively Eric Weinstein, who who was an academic. He's like, oh yeah, this is this is just the old people taking money from from the younger generation. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow, what an interesting way to <laughs> to consider the university system.
1: Yeah, well, it, it also oh, the thing I thought was most interesting: student debt guarantees you become part of the machine Mm -hmm. because if you didn't have student debt you could become an artist you could become an entrepreneur but if you are like a hundred thousand dollars in debt to Fannie Mae Mm -hmm. then you got to get a job so if your goal as an institution or as a society is to make sure that 18 year olds and 21 year olds have to go participate Mm -hmm. in your corporate rat race student debt is the perfect mechanism yeah and you get them to sign up when they're 17 which is weird because it's too young to vote it's too young to drink, but it's not too young to sign up for 100 grand of debt.
2: Yeah, the biggest financial decision I've made in my life to this day, I made when I was 17. 17. I'm 32 now. Yeah. <laughs> it's been 15 years. I haven't come close, and arguably grad school, but still was a little bit less money net yeah. than, than undergrad. No,
1: and people, I, this is something you've taught me actually. People get so upset at these things sometimes because they go, How could this happen? It's wrong, it shouldn't be occurring. No, this is designed perfectly yeah. for what someone wants, which is for you to not become a painter mm-hmm. and instead for you to become an accountant or whatever other job. I always yeah. hate picking on accountants, but I always do.
2: Yeah, well, it's also fascinating because uh, to your point, what are the odds at age 28 after maybe you worked so hard, you paid your student loans off in five, six, seven years, which is incredible, it took me 10, mm-hmm. and I was, <laughs> I was at the maximum payment. Uh, You're not going to stop being an accountant at age 28. You're in that system. Now you got the golden handcuffs. Yeah, but when you were 20 and anything was possible, and you could have joined the Peace Corps, you didn't have kids, you didn't have a spouse. Exactly. By the
1: time you pay off the debt, you're hitting that point where now you have a family. So now there's another reason for you to
2: stay in the rat race and focus on wealth creation. Yeah, it's sad. I know that one of... I'm going to steal Justin's thunder, but I, I I saw one of the articles that he had was on Makeup for Men. Oh, I like this one. It We're going to jump right it was, into sorry, this? Sorry, I thought it was a great... It was great, Justin, a fantastic job. I think that's so fascinating. Uh, the it just, it just makes me think of all of the mechanisms that are in place to make you a consumer. Yeah. And new needs will be invented. I, I take that back. A new need hasn't been invented. Men have always wanted to be attractive. Incre- new mechanisms by which to get there will just be added and stacked onto these desires. and yeah, new are-
1: reasons for you to need a job. Yes. New reasons for you to need to consume and therefore to need someone
2: to pay you. Yes. And therefore to need to do something you're not necessarily excited to do. And so there's this video and it's these two guys, one of them sounds like a New York dude. He's strong. He's perfect. He doesn't understand any of this. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> he's dude, putting on his makeup. <laughs> did you watch the one with the tattoos? I, no, I didn't.
1: Please pull this up for Charlie, and please sh- show this in the corner while we talk about it. But pull it up right now for Charlie to watch this.
2: Can I squeeze around it, or Justin? Can you lean back? Or I squeeze look at around
1: look at this, and we'll sh- we'll play this while it's happening. This guy is completely tattooed, like hands to yeah. neck. He's jacked. He's walking around. At one point, he gets a beer. They're trying so hard. <laughs> they're trying. This is the most. Oh, try, this he's is got makeup a, that they're selling. Dude, he's got. He puts on a he's skull super ring. Cool. Dude, they're trying so hard to make you think that it's okay to wear this product. Isn't What's, this hilarious? This is the most caricatured. Like, this is what they think that men think is masculine, which I think is hilarious.
2: Well, this is so. Uh, Last psychiatrist talks about how advert We've we've mentioned this. Advertisements are a window into how society sees you. Uh, That's and- what I'm saying. This company. <laughs> this company's not run by that
1: guy. Yeah. This company thinks that what you need as the average male in order to buy makeup is to see a dude with neck tattoos doing it because you go oh well if he'll do it mm-hmm. then it's okay for me to do it i think it's hilarious what a caricature i'd love to know who
2: they're targeting with that because every ad has a target right regular it's,
1: people i think
2: i don't think they're targeting people with tattoos you're targeting uh men of a certain age with mm-hmm. certain like all of these things and i would love to know who that is for it's
1: also called war paint which i thought was hilarious yeah,
2: yeah. and so it's makeup essentially for men
1: it's makeup for men. It's called war paint, mm-hmm. which is great. Also, like, no knock. I have a tattoo, but there's no way that guy could serve in the armed forces with that many tattoos. So yeah. it's called war paint. The actor is clearly not a military person. It's definitely not targeting. It's trying to make you think that it's super hyper manly mm-hmm. to wear makeup. Yeah. And it's trying so hard. I
2: love it. Well, yeah, all of these things, and this is my trouble where, where we talk... All the things that are available to you, uh, a feeling of masculinity, a feeling of connection, a feeling of even of superiority and winning that are available to you in many ways for free or for extremely low cost are repackaged and sold in productized form. (laughs) And, And the way to feel masculine and attractive and cool is now to purchase this thing. And we mentioned how... Uh, Shane Dawson's doc was a, a big part of what they were selling with makeup was not masculinity but community mm-hmm. right this was this is makeup for outcasts and so the same product does so many different things fill so many emotional holes depending yeah. on the target that they've aimed it at is uh, this a good time to thank our sponsor Shane Dawson his makeup <laughs> line? what's no, it called I don't know it's uh, not really a sponsor that's a joke. no shade it, it, no 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 just shade. just recognizing that that's how it works uh, and it's I also thought
1: thought it was hilarious because the article, obviously, to some extent, these journalists just need something to write about, right? Of course. So the article's talking about how it's so, like, these days, guys are buying cover-up for their blemishes. I was 15, 17 years ago, and I was using Neutrogena Mm skin-colored stuff to cover my acne. This This also isn't a new, like, war paint is a new thing, but I don't think it's a new thing for men to wear something that's skin colored when they have acne but the article was saying that this is a, a new trend which was like i hilarious think what they're to trying
2: to do is make it not shameful because back in the day and i know what you're talking about i would not have put on makeup for and i had acne but what i could concealable do was put on clearasil which was skin colored and that was not makeup that was salicylic acid which was to fight your, you know what i mean but that's, it was skin <laughs> but, it was, but it could be skin colored yeah And you were allowed to take certain steps, but you could not cross the threshold into having worn makeup because that would then become a problem. And I think they're trying to— Do you think it'll get big? Yes. You think so? For the exact reason that we just described, man. There there was—there's this desire in men— to not have to wear their pimples on their face. Of course, and there were workarounds for this, but there was this cultural impediment which So you think in 20 years guys are contouring like women oh, are? Oh, way less than that, man. Way less than that. Interesting. Yeah. And I don't know that the I don't know how much contouring, but I mean you see it uh yes, yes. Men want to be attractive. Nobody likes having pimples on their faces. I think it's going to go well, faster. Well, there's two things. So
1: there's there's blemish covering, which I agree everyone will do if they're not doing already. Then there is makeup which i'll put in a different category which would be contouring which would be looking almost completely different with your makeup on versus with your makeup off Mm -hmm. you think that will happen that men will be going in that direction yeah interesting
2: yeah i think i mean not that it was a men do it on halloween they do it on special occasions they do it if they're emo they do it like it's been fringe it's not antithetical to masculinity and it's worked in certain circles there's a consumerist push behind it and if they can get a few big people to do it, it can become as popular as the bowl cut was when we were little. You yeah, know, it doesn't need to be inherently cool to work. It just needs an influencer and and a budget. Fascinating. And, yeah. So I think I think for sure that this will be a big thing. But yeah, it's just just added to the list of things that you need to do to feel good in the morning, <laughs> which is one of the things that I've always appreciated most about being a guy at least when I was growing up, is that the list of things that were expected of me in order to be clean, presentable, were so much shorter than my sister, for instance. Yes. I just had to brush my teeth. I didn't really even have to do my hair. I put on a shirt, go outside, I was set to go. And, and the women that I've dated, or even growing up with my sister, it was so much more. Well, you phrased that so interestingly, because there, there is a sense of if makeup becomes
1: ubiquitous, where every guy feels like they have to put on makeup to leave the house. It is, in a sense, something you have to do before you allow yourself to feel mm-hmm. good or at least to feel at peace. Yeah. To feel not. It's like another an- anxiety being created. Yes. And then you are only, that anxiety is only alleviated when you put the makeup on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is, so this is very similar. We talked about the Carezza stuff last week, uh, which is the dopamine diet that I've been working on. Also, uh, orgasm abstaining. But the big argument in the book, as I've gotten deeper into it, is that, is that uh most of the actions that we take are not in pursuit well I, in one way they're in pursuit of a greater thrill but most of the times they're in pursuit of anxiety relief uh, and if you were to talk about putting on makeup and you ask women what is the experience of putting on makeup for the average woman she'd say I just don't feel like if like I can't go out without this mm-hmm. not that this is a joyous experience for me but I'll feel really bad if I don't and if you, Analyze your own <laughs> decisions that, that one makes any day. So many of them are anxiety-relieving and so few are joy-generating. Uh, this is what this book talks about. And it, and it gets worse because the addictive cycle is when you relieve one anxiety, you're tricked into believing, oh, wow, that was so good. What you don't realize is that you've started to build a pattern whereby you need to continuously relieve that anxiety. Yeah. You
1: know what I always find interesting is when people say something fashion-related or looks-related is for them. Yeah, (laughs) I always find that so interesting. Oh, I don't do my makeup for other people. I do my makeup for For me. me, Oh, this haircut—this isn't for other people. This is for me. It doesn't seem like it because it seems like when people are at home and they know they're going to be at home and they're watching Netflix, they put on sweatpants Mm -hmm. and they put their hair up in a bun or whatever it is. I just always think that's so funny. It's people do these things. I think largely for other people, but then feel the need to deny it. There's almost this weird shame that they feel around saying, yeah, of course I do this makeup for other people or I do it so that I can feel good around other people. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what they're trying to say, but if you went to a log cabin alone for a month, by day 4 you'd stop doing makeup.
2: Yeah. And you might shower. You know what I mean? You would yeah, probably yeah, yeah. still like, "Oh, the being clean feels good." Yes. But putting this on my face does not. And there's and that's one of the reasons I think that people do solitude and go to log cabins is to strip everything back and go what in my life was truly for me and what was I doing because I thought other people expected it of me. Yeah, and I
1: don't deny, by the way, that when people when people put on makeup, what they might be trying to communicate is, I don't put this on because I'm hoping to attract you. Mm-hmm. I put this on because without it, I feel uncomfortable. Sure. And so I put this on for my own emotional state. Mm-hmm. But that's because you feel judged by other people's eyes. Yeah. Because I, if, if you had to go to a log cabin for 12 months with no human interaction, mm-hmm. the makeup would drop mm-hmm. off very quickly, sure. I think.
2: Sure. And and the question then becomes, what wouldn't? What would remain if yeah. I, had you access to all of these sorts of things? Walks in the woods, I think, would remain. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody... I'm sure some people are trying to do be fit and get whatever sort of abs they think they get Instagram from taking photos. walks. Yeah,
1: but and we're all guilty of this, by the way. Sure, you'll know that I, you'll know that I have given up on trying to attract people when I shave my head because <laughs> having a shaved head is awesome, and I having mean, any hair at all is worse than yeah, having. Yeah, we a both shaved did head.
2: our hair prior to sitting yeah. down. Yeah, so here.
1: I, I this is not a judgment of other people; it's a description of humans. I just think it's funny when people say, mm-hmm. "No, no, I style my hair for me. I don't." When I know I'm not going to see anyone, I don't even shower. Yet <laughs>
2: Well, it's, I, I do think this is, this is what I'm trying to move towards for the past two or three years. Yeah, Increasingly identifying the things that are for me, doing more of them, yeah. fewer things that are only make me feel good as an anxiety relief, especially when it's in the eyes of other people. Yeah. And I think just being honest about stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. If somebody asks you to watch their dog and you truly would rather do it than not, you say, yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. I'm doing that for me. If someone asks you to watch their dog, and you would rather not, but you do because you value the relationship, you can still watch the dog. Mm -hmm. I just think it's important for your own happiness to be like, cool, I'm going to do this. It's not a huge deal. It's not optimal, but for the relationship. I think that something that a lot of people do is they lie to themselves, which is the most dangerous lie, because you don't even know you're doing it necessarily. About their motivations. About your motivations, yeah. About why you do your hair, about why you do favors for people.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Then here's the like one of the big questions is why that self deception? What does that self deception protect? I don't immediately have the answer. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Well, it depend. I mean, each self deception is different. The self deception around the makeup makeup for me.
2: Why? Why is that such a ubiquitous? If you're if you're maintaining that it is a self deceiving, why so common?
1: I think we have the weird thing in society where there's a judgment around trying to look good. Weirdly Mm -hmm. enough, because everybody is to some level or another doing it. But I think there's a bit of a judgment of like, oh, you are doing that to impress people of the opposite sex, especially for women. There's a weird judgment around like, oh, you're doing that to impress men Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. That's discouraged. So Mm -hmm. I think that's where it comes from.
2: Yeah, and I, I, I think it even goes beyond opposite sex. I think it's when you admit to doing something for other people, weirdly enough, that's seen as weak willed or something or yeah, not, yeah, not sure. independent and therefore you have to pretend <laughs> for other people yeah. that your that your motives are other than they are got it no
1: people and again there's no judgment people ask me this about my tattoo They're like would you get it if you were the only one that could see it like probably not it was really expensive and painful <laughs> like
2: this it's is just, truly an advertisement yeah, yeah. for all of you
1: yeah to know stuff about me <laughs> like i like it but would i get it if only i could see it like I might just write myself reminders yeah, yeah. it's very painful it took 50 hours post-it notes work yeah <laughs> i find very yeah well. and i was talking to another guy who's getting a sleep tattoo and he said oh i'm just doing this for me i'm only doing this for me so maybe maybe our brains are totally different but it does seem like a strange very public thing to do for other people
2: yeah all right let's hop what do we got
1: i got something which you'll appreciate sure hit me so i know you're feeling a little bit of hamster wheel about making youtube videos a little bit of burnout mm-hmm. and uh, i don't think that's unique to you of course not no i was watching pewdiepie and he is taking a break from videos because he's burned out from it which i think is fascinating because you and i always highlight him as the guy who does what he thinks is fun and puts it on camera right he does meme reviews he plays video games but even he is starting to burn out i was like man why is why is that is it the production schedule is it the fact that other people are going to watch it why does that create fatigue and then i was watching phil defranco to try to prep for this podcast and figure out what was going on in the world that was interesting and he is a news channel and he thinks that he his service to the world is that he does independent news which is a hole in the market mm-hmm. it's a 20 minute video in the first seven minutes he talks about star wars drama and even at the end he basically says i don't care about this like i don't have an opinion on this and then he gets into Trump and environmental protection and all this stuff that you can tell he actually wants to cover. And I thought that was interesting because he's got 20 minutes. He spent seven on something that I think he thinks he has to cover to, to get clicks or mm-hmm. to get the right thumbnail to get the audience to like it so that he can do his thing. So I was just curious if that's, is that an inevitable part of success that you're going to burn out and that you're going to have to cater to your audience? Is this, why does this occur? I guess.
2: I think it's the the discussion we were having is a great uh, lead into this, which is, at some point, PewDiePie, Phil DeFranco, myself, were doing what we were doing for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when I did the first Charisma Breakdown, it was in my head, sitting on a couch with you, as we talked about our friend Austin, and we, we sat here, and it was for no one but us. And when you take that and you put it into a video, okay, now it's there's an audience in mind. Mm-hmm. And then when you add better editing, you're increasingly catering to the audience. And when you think, how will this title do, you're increasingly catering to the audience. And there becomes less and less genuine inspiration of why I would do this Phil DeFranco PewDiePie. And more and more, will other people like this receive this well? Mm -hmm. And even when things are going fantastic, that's that's not sustainable. Because one, you can't please everybody all the time forever. And in fact, what they liked in a weird way was this Goldilocks zone between you being your authentic, raw, unedited self and thinking how to package it in a way that was for them. Mm-hmm. But then when you get too far towards the packaging, it's like, ah, this is stale. I don't need this over again. This yeah. is uninspired. Uh, so I do think that it, it is a product of catering to the market. It is often correlated with success uh, because success is what takes you away from from yourself. Has anyone
1: been, and success might be the wrong North Star, but has anyone been successful and not taken their audience into account that you can think of?
2: Well, I think what uh, we talked about, uh, he's just fresh in my mind, we talked about Bukowski, who only made it when he was 50. who wrote mm. over 100 short stories that nobody read. <laughs> I think that there's plenty of those people that don't break through. How, who has not taken his audience into account? I mean, the biggest song of the year was uh, Lil Nas X, uh, whatever, the Country Road song. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he created that, like this Frankenstein that was designed to be a hit. And then he promoted it in these sleeper cell subreddits and was like, who's this Lil Nas X guy? (laughs) (laughs) He was out there, you know, trying to make it a success. So certainly the inverse is much more common. Yeah. Uh, The thing you mentioned PewDiePie, the thing that is really admirable about him is that this isn't his first break he's cried on camera like i can't do this anymore like he's he's hit his wall several times but he over 10 years has come back to himself over and over and over again Mm -hmm. you know when he recently started doing minecraft i don't think that that was a calculated idea to break through to 100 million subscribers but he hit you know he whatever it is his tastes and the audience they just seem to line up at some point uh so I do think the goal is to you go too far in this direction of like pleasing the audience and then you take a month you come back to yourself you realize what you're really truly passionate about you do a fantastic job there audience starts small but then they recognize hopefully that what you've made is is inspired and mm. is and is interesting so maybe I need some time off I don't know I think that I do I I took a week and I feel better yeah yeah I think a couple of weeks would would that's what I, I said online. that at one point. I wanted to give you a month off. You said it wouldn't help. It would help, but the cycle, maybe it would. Maybe I would go back to being a creator, but uh, this is getting more personal. I'm I play two roles in our business. One is the artist who is coming up with these Hopefully creative and sometimes they feel more like franchise sequels than they do like creative endeavors, Mm -hmm. right? These videos of okay I'm gonna pick this popular person that they're clamoring for and they do the same things as this other guy that I've covered I'm just gonna reiterate. I want you to know I saw a comment today. That the channel is on the rise and getting better with every video, so I want you to know that's great. It's but it's not stale yet. It's not stale yet. I agree. There are there are there's elements of staleness and not, but so that's the one role that I play. But we're a small company, so I'm also expected to play this business leader role, mm. and I don't know how to do both of those at the same time. Quite frankly, they really do pull me another in, in different directions. This book that I'm reading, I just started it. Loon Shots, talks about keeping your soldiers and your scientists and artists separate. Yeah. Because in an organization, what you have are these, they talk about the military. They have these scientists that are interested in magnets, you know, and they just want to like play with magnets and do incredible things. And nuclear fission is fascinating to them. And at the beginning of fission, soldiers are like, this is stupid. This isn't going to do anything. And then at some point they create the atomic bomb, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it transforms the face of the planet. And now it's a huge part of national security. But for a large period of time, they have to be able to talk, but they have to be apart. Uh, and it's really weird when I'm trying to have both of those in your own brain, in my own brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they talk a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> I think I need I need my artist to go away uh, or to be with that that side of myself for a little bit longer, in the near future. Yeah. But,
1: well, that's it. I just saw both. I was watching those guys to try to come up with stuff to talk about for today. Yeah. And it was just funny because they're the only two people I watched, and they both were having similar issues phil defranco is not taking time off but you Mm -hmm. could just tell his content is informed by things other than what he wants to talk about and then pewdiepie's just said he's out for the beginning of the year he really he said so 2020 yeah he said i'm giving you guys a heads up now i don't want it to be a surprise don't expect any
2: january videos for him man he's he's got guts uh he just put out the last video today was a book review of aristotle uh, of the Nicomachean ethics, you know, and that's, and he's like, I love old philosophers. But of course, what he did is the title of the video, take a guess. Why Aristotle was the best no. philosopher. <laughs> I hate Twitter, right? And it's, and it's, there's still this understanding of the marketplace and how to package these ideas for them and the Mm -hmm. first 30 seconds to 45 seconds is about how he hates twitter it's just this reactionary thing and the real secrets to happiness and then the rest of it is about aristotle and what he's interested in so there is this there is this happy medium i agree that's that's what i was saying i don't see many people who just pursue the art and are successful no no i don't think that's that's often the case um there's another book that i was going to mention but i forget it right now (laughs) (laughs) nice any other things that you have Sure. This is a random
1: one, but, uh, so my, my friend is at date with destiny, which is Tony Robbins mid, yeah, yeah, mid yeah. high level event. Right. I think it's five grand to go to it's a week. He said the first day was an 18 hour day. So it's wow. intense. You pay a lot of money, you fly to go to it. And it's very time intensive. He's coming out of it. And he's saying, dude, it was a life change, <laughs> life changing. And it just, I just had flashbacks to myself coming out of landmark form being like, it was life changing and you coming out of things. And I noticed that in general, we all have these moments of motivation or inspiration right where you you see something in the mirror and you go that's it tomorrow the diet starts mm-hmm. or you watch a video on not procrastinating and you're like that's it tomorrow i start my dream business and then they're just gone right two weeks after date with destiny very little is implemented a month after landmark form life is mostly the same how do you capture those moments because i think we all have them. those moments of inspiration and motivation and how do you turn that into something that's actually life-changing and not just something that feels life-changing and then kind of gets forgotten as old habits get picked back up
2: i have my thoughts do you have do you want to give your initial answer no i was
1: hoping that by making that question (laughs) long you could think while i spoke
2: i have have, so (laughs) i don't know that this this is true all the time i'm trying to think of the the life moments that i've had the one of the big ones was a realization that i was going to make youtube videos and it was, I'm going to do this. Uh, and the thing that made it stick was external people holding me accountable to something that in that moment I committed forward to. Mm-hmm. So Tony Robbins says, never leave the site of inspiration without a commitment. Yeah. And so what I did was I was reading some book. It's like, I got to do YouTube videos. And I then, I'm sure I texted you or Bendy. I was like, video has to go up this Monday. If it doesn't go up, I owe you 100 bucks. Mm-hmm this Monday by midnight. Okay, so then I have to make this video and I wake up in the morning and go, "Why did I do that?" <laughs> Why have I made myself do this? And I literally procrastinated to Sunday night for the first several weeks, had yeah. nothing, but knew it was going to cost me money and I put something up. And then, carrying that commitment forward, I said in the video, "I'm going to do this every week for the next 6 months or 52 weeks." Yeah, I remember. And then I was doomed. Then I was stuck. <laughs> and I think this is another reason we talked about trying to maintain high levels of honesty and integrity. It really is a fantastic leverage against your your demons, your worst, the the inclinations that you have to procrastinate yeah. if you're honest and you can make a promise and now you're stuck.
1: Well, I think a huge part was putting a penalty though. Because yeah. I actually
2: had one of our friends text me. He
1: goes, dude, I want you to be my, my fitness accountability buddy. You're going to be my trainer. I'm going to send you a picture once a week of my body and mm-hmm. the workouts I did that week. So it sounds good. One week I got them, by week two, I never got them again. But there's no penalty, so (laughs) I was just like, okay, I'm not gonna chase you down. We're also friends, I'm not getting paid Mm -hmm. for this. So I said, hey, are you gonna send me this stuff? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm on it. Never heard from him again about that, and Mm -hmm. I wasn't gonna chase him down. But if he had said, yeah, I'm gonna give you $1,000 every week that I don't send you this, eight days in, I would've been like, hey, bud, (laughs) just so you know, my Venmo is, you know? So I think that financial consequences
2: are a big one. Yeah, it's huge, it's huge. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's other, the biggest, yeah, some of the other big changes that I happen have, have not been engineered. Uh, there was a time earlier in my life where I just decided that being fit mattered, probably because I some girl didn't like me, and that just stuck. <laughs> now that one wasn't engineered, so I. I don't know why it stuck, yeah. especially on those times. And I know that you had, I'm sure, a similar experience because at some point when you were, whatever, 18, 19, the gym just became the most important thing, right?
1: Oh, you know, it's funny. I had two friends that I really admired in college because everybody liked them and women really liked them. And they were both jacked. And I was skinny. Mm -hmm. So I just decided that being jacked mattered. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, they were both extremely confident as well. And they Mm -hmm. had a lot of other attributes (laughs) that actually made them attractive. Because who I completely ignored was the jacked, quiet guy that also didn't do well with women. But I was just like, oh, they have it. I don't have it. What's the difference? Yeah, It's the muscle. Mm -hmm. And then I put on the muscle and still didn't do well with
2: women and went, wait, what? And then I had to figure out charisma. Well, you said two other things that Tony Robbins calls out. One is a strong why for you. Uh, Getting girls to like you at that point in your life was absolutely non-negotiable. Oh, yeah, dude. And two, seriously. Seeing it done. Having surrounded yourself with people that were living embodiments of, of where you could get to. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. I think some people go to these events and they're surrounded by, this guy started his business and Tony's on stage and he's got half a billion dollars. and any, All of this is so possible and mm-hmm. then they go back to their small town and they look around and their aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, nobody's, nobody's broken out of it yeah. and it
1: seems then impossible. Well, this is a similar thing. It's also external, but in addition to setting up financial stakes. Having someone to do it with, huge, Mm -hmm. right? That's what helped us with charisma. I even see it with surfing today. When I text someone saying, I'm going to meet you here at 1 p.m., I'm there. But when I text someone, I say, hey, do you want to surf tomorrow? They go, no. I go, cool, I'm going to go on my own. Mm -hmm. I hit that 50% of the time. Yeah. So I think having somebody who will do it with you is also an incredibly good way to make it stick. So if you're at this event, you go, I'm out of shape and I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to do it. And you can text someone for that financial penalty or you can text someone and say like, hey, Let's go to the gym at 3 p.m. tomorrow. Yeah, And then that's going to make you much more hesitant to bail on it. Versus if I just tell myself, tomorrow I'm going to get up at 8 a.m. And I'm going to go straight to surfing. And it's a Saturday
2: and I want to sleep in. Not having that accountability really hurts. Yeah. No, we talked about trying to build that into CU in the next year. And mm-hmm. I think it's definitely a, worth considering. Because clearly information alone doesn't guarantee change in yeah. any arena of life but these other things uh, stakes a community that's supportive some kind of accountability that all that all helps
1: I got one more taking instant action to control your environment mm. so for instance if you're again if you're out of shape and you feel this inspiration to get in shape throwing out every single junk food you have or mm-hmm. taking it all and giving it to a homeless person immediately while you're feeling inspired then you can wake up the next day and go, Wait, what? You did this when you were a kid with Starcraft. Yeah, you, were, you played video games for like twelve hours. At the end of it, you hated yourself, and in that moment, you broke the disc.
2: Yeah, that was the worst day of my life. And the next, well, the next day was the worst day because you woke up and went, "What
1: have I done? I don't have fifty dollars to buy a new game." Yeah. So I think you can control if you can make
2: environmental changes while inspired. Mm-hmm. That will that will help you a lot. It's why these events are so tough because you're not at home. They're, you can't make the environmental change mm-hmm. necessary at that point. But here's this. Here's one that's complete F transition. But I love it. No one. I was reading these hundred things of the decade: movies, TV shows, etc. I read probably three or four of them because I want to do a charisma video, and I was looking what were the big charisma moments within these movies and TV shows. There was not one Avengers movie in a top 100. I saw one of them that had Black Panther in there, but. Endgame didn't sniff it. It's the biggest movie ever. (laughs) And all of these critics just left it out of their top 100. And I get it, I suppose, because it doesn't... The type of person who's going to be a critic is just, I suppose, not the type of person that's going to get this. But that's my number one of the decade of my life. Avengers Endgame literally brought me to tears when they all <laughs> came together and fought. Iron Man spoiler alert if you watch this video in the future is absolutely going to be the number one most charismatic person of the decade for me. Yeah. Uh just r- interesting the culture the culture writers and tastemakers are so different from their audience. Well, this actually this reminds me it's a bit of a tangent, but this makes me
1: w- want to reiterate to caution people who think they're superior to what's popular. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have your own tastes, but I, I would, I've seen people who diminish and talk down upon things that are popular, right? And what Trump won because everyone's an idiot. People who like Avengers are stupid. Anything it is. That music's popular because it's bad. There's something to it if it's the best-selling movie of the century, yeah. right? I'm not saying it has to be your number one movie of all time, but if you're making a 100 movie lists of the movies of the past decade... The one that is the most popular movie ever should probably be on it. And similarly, if you are a Democrat and you can't understand how Trump won, I would urge you to put aside the fact that your so your answer is that everyone's stupid <laughs> and go, what would the answer be if it weren't that everyone was stupid? Does that make sense? Totally. Because I see this a lot. Is Martin Scorsese, Criticizing the Avengers, people criticizing the president, whatever it is, people saying Logan Paul. Oh, I can't believe that Logan Paul is the fastest growing YouTube channel ever. Back mm-hmm. a year or two ago, his whole audience must be morons, and he's a moron. Yeah, everyone's a moron. It's like <laughs> Logan Paul's not a moron; he's a self-made multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. What would the answer be if he weren't a moron? Maybe it's that he's a brilliant business person. Whatever it is, I just—it's a tangent, but I see it a lot, and I—I I think. The person thinking that thought would improve their own life, actually, their life would be better, selfishly, if instead of thinking everyone was dumb if they disagreed with you or had a different opinion, they spent the time to go, what would the alternative solution be besides me
2: thinking that everyone who disagrees with me is an idiot? Yeah, yeah. I've learned some of the most interesting things that I've learned about human psychology with that mindset by coming to Donald Trump, Justin Bieber, Logan Paul, these popular things that I was not a fan of. Yeah, correct me
1: if I'm wrong, but you didn't watch PewDiePie much before you did our first breakdown of him. You didn't like Logan Paul before doing his breakdown. You weren't a Trump supporter. You just did the breakdown because he was popular. Mm -hmm. And you learn a lot more from that than when you do a breakdown of someone who's already in your belief system, in your echo chamber, in your... And it
2: doesn't mean that you need to – that doesn't mean that necessarily I'm I'm Justin Bieber's diehard or Logan Paul's diehard or Donald Trump's diehard fan. It just means that I've understood something much more interesting about the way that humans interact. If you you go, I don't understand how
1: this happened, and then you learn how it happened, you learn something for yourself about human psychology and the populace beyond just going everyone is stupid, in which case you learn nothing and you feel good on your high horse, but you're not actually – improving at all mm-hmm. and you do nothing to be able to be like those people or prevent those people whatever yeah. your cause
2: is you know this so. was my this was my one ketamine takeaway actually that i wrote down was everyone has something to teach you mm-hmm. and it can we're going very concrete here in the in the case of the experience on ketamine it was much more metaphysical like my Magruber, my dog is the perfect Magruber. even when he's a pain in the butt he's the perfect version of him and it's it's was a sense of not arguing with reality, Mm -hmm. of going, the way things are is the best teacher uh, and assume that not that you're imagining of how this ought to be, that my dog ought not to bark is in fact a better version and this is somehow a faulty version (laughs) of the ideal that exists in my head, but Mm -hmm. no, this is the perfect version and this has so much to teach me because I have a faulty version of what my dog ought to be somewhere in my head. Yeah, yeah, Uh, Doesn't mean that he then can't change, but if I come to him trying to learn – about why he barks, what triggers him, then I am so much better equipped to affect change. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. If you think Mm -hmm. your dog barks because it's a bad dog, you can't
1: fix your dog. You just yell at it and hate it and resent it. But if you think, oh, my dog's barking, what if it weren't because it's dumb? What if it weren't because it's bad? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because of these other things. And then you can, weirdly enough, you can Make change. The change Maybe you want to see. He's
2: the perfect, most brilliant dog who is doing exactly what he should be doing, giving all the inputs right now. And, yeah, and, and then, then you, you go the inputs exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it was. It was more metaphysical. Now it was like everything is perfect. You know yeah, how that can be. But it has a very concrete takeaway, which is if you still desire to shift things towards the ideal that exists in your head, even after recognizing, hey, everything is is perfect as it is, you're better equipped to do so. Sure. No. If you yeah, if you if you want to be president.
1: And your answer is that everybody who voted for the person that's not you is an idiot. You will never be president Mm. (laughs) because there are no lessons learned. Yeah. So yeah, it's funny enough. Selfishly, people should just assume there's more going on. Yep. That's what that endgame thing reminds me of. These critics,
2: they can't create the best-selling movie if they're going to keep... Ignoring the best-selling movie. Well, forget best-selling. Assume that you don't even want best-selling. Clearly, they tapped into Something whether you want to say it's the mythology that modern-day superheroes represent Whether it's that incredible score that comes together when there's just lessons to be learned There's so much value in in those movies, and if you assume wait, this is broken Why does it work? you'll often find the piece that is broken wasn't broken at all. This is what I encountered when I when I started looking into Donald Trump. I was like, he's broken. He said winning 13 times in 30 seconds. That's a poor speaker. Yeah. Because good speakers are eloquent. They don't repeat words. They have There's a better economy of words going on when they speak. And then I said, okay, what if this wasn't broken? What if 13 was the exact number of times you wanted to say winning in 30 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> and lo and behold, that's part of Donald Trump's greatest strength is that he boils things down into memeable spreadable ideas and then repeats the ever-living crap out of them make yeah, America yeah. great again we're going to be winning so much winning you're going to be sick of winning did I say winning we're going to be winning yeah because when we're winning you're winning and I'm winning yeah. <laughs> it's just like no And if it's like cool <laughs> I want to make America great again and win yeah and 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 I stopped assuming that humans, including myself, were these cerebral, uh, what is it called, primate brain driven rational creatures and started really understanding the degree to which simplistic uh, emotions and base, you could call them fears and desires, drive behaviors and then of course are rationalized buy this top brain that has a bunch of fancy words to put on top of everything, which is backed up in a lot of the science that you'll read today. But Trump is an excellent example of what that might look like in a persuasive context. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we do, you know, some of the charismatic people, two people that I know would definitely make it are Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And they're sort of opposite orators. They're in many ways very different, but open I th- change. Yeah, they're yeah. similar in some ways. Yes, so I know. Yes. Uh, so that could be we might do the top 10 Characters might do the top ten most charismatic moments by people. We'll see if people. Have, if you guys have an opinion, let me know in the comments because I'm still testing these ideas out. Anything else that you want to say? No, I'll top into other stuff. Let me see if I have one more. I just deleted like nine things I decided aren't worth it. Great. Uh, this one, we I'll see if we want to talk about this. So I'm reading another book. This book, Loonshots, et cetera, and it, to its credit, it points out this phenomenon that you have talked about, which is these these business books oftentimes that will take pitney bows and be like if you look at pitney bows they've had a great 20 year span you know <laughs> and they've done it because of this ceo and this culture and this that and the other thing now granted the book was written in 1995 pitney bows no longer exist like it's just yeah, been yeah, yeah. decimated with the same ceo and the same culture uh and so these business books date themselves so quickly and the guy tells a story of one company that was often featured in these uh, these business books is this great success. He's like, I worked there. Let me tell you what happened. We had one freakishly talented rogue scientist who invented <laughs> <laughs> who invented like the, one of the cures to cancer that is now totally done. And he was deciding where to sell it. And the CEO of our competitor didn't pick up the bill at a dinner and he hated him for it. So we got it, and for twenty years we ran. Pat- they, or we, they, because he, he wasn't there the whole time. They ran patent protections on this, and then eventually died. But there were all these books written about the culture of innovation, the this, yeah, that, and the other thing. So it's it is interesting when you're trying to understand the success of an organization, or even of yourself, and you then go back and say, "Oh, what happened? Therefore, I know why this occurred." Mm. It's so easy to be wrong. <laughs> even when I even when I look at my own life and I go, oh, why did this work and this didn't work? I, I realize I really don't know the answer. I think a tremendous amount, far more luck is present in our come up on YouTube than is immediately recognized, and so the only solution that I think this guy starts to propose is to create structures that encourage innovation and then throw ideas at the wall yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like volume because you're not going to be as good at picking them out as as you think your genius brain yeah no is. And pe-
1: people often ask us too they're like how did you know to do youtube mm. when did you get started it's, i think we did linkedin blogging youtube and twitter. something else at the same twitter at the same time yeah we tried it all and then once something started to work then we stopped doing everything else and just triple down on what was working but it's mm-hmm. not like we sat in a room and went we're gonna be youtubers
3: yeah, yeah, we're yeah. like all right
2: draw everything and we did for two years prior to yeah. prior to it it breaking through so i have to read the rest of the book to learn more about these structures but he's caught my attention i think he's accurately uh diagnosed a problem in all of the literature on success which is that no counter examples are pursued like let's find other companies that also had great cultures, but didn't exist Yeah, and my
1: favorite one is there's a really famous book And it highlights that the success of Starbucks is because all they do is coffee. Yeah, they don't diversify. <laughs> and it's written in, you know, 1999 or 2005 or something. I'm sitting here in 2019. i like,
2: uh, what? Starbucks sells food. They sell beer. They're all mm-hmm. over the place. This is, it was the 22, I think it's a good book in other ways. 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, right? Well, it was, yeah, the Immutable Laws of Branding, which I, think I it's didn't, in marketing which I didn't too. like as much. Well, they talk about brand extension in both. And they say, don't do brand extensions. Don't do brand extensions. And then you look at Disney and you got Disney Plus, Disney Theme Parks, Disney this, Disney everything. They own the world. Yeah. Uh, Harley-Davidson is not just make motorcycles, they make t-shirts and Harley this and Harley that. It's clearly no longer the case, if it ever was, that brand extensions are definitely a dead-in-the-water idea. Look at Virgin. Yeah, Virgin, who is only brand extensions. (laughs) Virgin Space, Virgin Music, Virgin Airlines, Virgin everything. So uh, clearly, I I don't know if that was completely wrong. Do you think it was completely wrong or just sometimes wrong? Do you think brand extension is a better idea? Or do you think it's just sometimes? It just depends. I'm day. sure we can point to examples
1: where things didn't go well. well Trump should have the... stuck to hotels and not done universities or stakes. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? I think the truth is, I mean, here's what I would say. Something good will be successful. I actually was going to bring this up early in the podcast. We were talking about something. Like if Trump's stakes were the best stakes in the world, mm-hmm. it would have been successful. Virgin Airlines is a great airline. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter that it started as a record company. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. At the end of the day, high high quality product is king. Yeah. So if you're Starbucks and you're selling terrible food, that's a bad idea. If you're Starbucks and you can come up with these cute little cake pop things that work with coffee and that people like, you can charge $4 for a bite-sized donut. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I think that Don't extend your brand into other things unless you can do those things well would be what I think the takeaway is. We'll see when you start seeing Charisma on Command motorcycles. (laughs) (laughs) Only if it was a good motorcycle. That's the thing. If I thought I could make a better motorcycle than anyone else, you'd see Charisma on Command motorcycles. Probably brand them something else.
4: (laughs) What else we got, Justin? Next up is about politics in America specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now, the two loudest camps in politics that people – you know, most often come across on the internet articles, whatnot, are according to this article, the proletariat who are the people who are afraid of their best world receding, and then the precariat who are the people who see no sec- career security and want all the enveloping policies, so like the the free healthcare, the free education, etc. Um, but this article says there's a third camp of people who are the exhausted, the people who are gonna vote for the candidate who causes the least amount of problems. Um, it argues that maybe the reason Trump was, or maybe the reason Trump will be elected is because in the mind of the people voting who are in the exhausted camp, like for example, Bernie is going to lead to a lot of class war Mm -hmm. and that's going to be like a big problem, I guess.
2: I think this is New York Times article. Uh, yeah, this is true of Fox News and New York Times. They, they really fail to, to understand people who disagree with them. I don't even think they try sometimes. They can only chalk it up to laziness or stupidity. They could never think that there's a camp of people out there that might think it's in their proactive best interest to vote for Donald Trump. And that is they will struggle to succeed to the in, in effecting change in the world if they cannot imagine a, an intelligent person who thinks differently. Mm-hmm. And this is true this is it's true of the other side as well. People who think, you know, anybody who is who doesn't like Trump is a snowflake or they're just soft. They couldn't imagine a reason. I am and I just I, I guess I have to practice what I preach now and, and think, this is an intelligent writer. <laughs> right? This person clearly they work at the New York Times. They they went to an excellent yeah, they college. They know who their reader is. They know who their reader is yes yes and perhaps this is all part of a perfect system working <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean where this this article is not intended to equip people to change the world but it's just intended to reinforce beliefs okay maybe they're not stupid maybe they're just lazy yeah. you know no like- it's like it's like student loans man
1: it's the system's <laughs> operating perfectly the one yeah. thing i think is fascinating when you when you go to any news article or any public thing like this is they make you think that the country is so divided mm-hmm. and that there's these extremists on the left and that's the entire left and there's these extremists on the right and that's the entire right. And I think it's just a really loud, annoying minority on both sides. I actually think that most, if you just picked random Americans, they would agree on a lot more than they would disagree, no matter where they were from. Mm-hmm. Pick pick San Francisco and Alabama. Yeah. And you just pick the random ones. They don't have to be extremists. You're just grabbing them out of populace. They would just... Agree, eighty percent of things, and on the stuff they disagreed on, they probably wouldn't get that heated. I think we get painted in this world where, especially the opposite side, is like totally insane. Mm -hmm. So if you're a Republican, then the Democrats are totally insane, but not the ones you're meeting that you totally you get along with (laughs) fine at work. Just the ones on Twitter, yeah, right. And if you're a Democrat, same thing. All these, oh, no, it's not how the world is actually operating. I think. I think the country is mostly. People that would get along reasonably well and share a lot of the same values, yeah. but that's not an interesting news
2: article. No one would buy that or click that. Well, we've talked about this before. What is this in defense of? If if it's just a world full of people acting in what they perceive, you know, of of on average similar intelligences acting in their own best interest with the same amount of uh, apathy or interest as your side, then the problems aren't coming from some lazy or evil boogeyman. They're coming from people like you which means that you could be (laughs) people like you aka you are causing a lot of the issues you're just born in a different geography yeah well well no you are causing the issues that's the whole point it's you you're the problem you know what i mean like you're the one that has to change you're the one that has to open up you're the one that has to uh become less what is the word judgmental of others and tolerant in all the all the ways which you don't perceive yourself not to be. We talked about this. I, I won't even say the publication, but there was
1: a journalist at a news organization, and the title of the article was "Insert Opposite Size News Team Watching Impeachment Trial and Only Covering Things That Support Their Side." It's ridiculous. <laughs> and that was the th- that was what they said. It's yeah. like, yeah, this is true, but it's also true of you. Like you're right in your criticism but you should also level it at all of your coworkers as mm-hmm. well as the people on the other side. Yeah,
2: but, but of course then you have to ask why and it's a perfect system to- It def- sells stuff. It def- well, why does it sell? Why does why is that the message that people want? And I believe the answer is because what we want is a defense against the onus of personal change. Yeah, we're also wired for in-group, out-group.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We're just wired for it. So it's really nice when you label someone the out-group and then blame them for your problems. Because yeah. when the in-group is the cause of your problems, that's tough. Now you need a nuanced solution mm-hmm. that doesn't burn bridges because you need the in group but when the out group is the source of all your problems, that's great because the in group's great and screw those guys and that's kind of the easiest way for the human psyche to
2: exist, yeah you know I was reading a uh, a blog post from the last psychiatrist I've mentioned him a couple of times. I would love to get him on the i, I has I, he come public with his identity never yeah now i I happen to think I know it, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we got him, that would be sick. So he's he's a very uh, intriguing, provocative writer who stopped probably five, six years ago, but I still go back to it because he has one of the freshest takes, even on stuff that's happening today. He, he's just got a different view than everyone else. Mm. And one of the things he, he mentions that sort of made me think of this was if you're under the age of 40 or so and you say things like, uh, or I guess 50 is now the word, 50 is the age, you things, say things like, wow, Mad Men is so much more authentic than uh, the movie JFK, for instance, then you're in the Matrix. Because what they've effectively convinced you is that you do not need to experience reality in order to have an opinion of it. And what I, the reason that it reminded me of is because people talk about Trump voters or uh, Bernie supporters with very limited experience of them Believing that if they only tune into the news that that is somehow a surrogate for having actually experienced a Trump supporter or a Bernie supporter and That's just you in the matrix when you read mm-hmm. the polls and you do like you, you have to go at some point You have to have the rubber hit the road, come down to reality and speak to someone <laughs> You know speak to several different people and that's not necessarily of course statistics are useful and you can uh, glean all sorts of interesting insights, but uh, you, w- I think most people would learn so much more from, from hitting the pavement, speaking to someone who disagrees with them, than they would from reading more or listening to more news articles
4: at this point. We're all in the matrix, man. <laughs> <We've-> Next current <laughs> event. Next current event. Um, So I wrote down that people will pay $1 million to be part of a clinical trial on an anti-aging process. And this is shocking considering that most clinical trials either pay the participants or you know, there's some kind of benefit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What is the trial that people are paying a million dollars
4: to participate in? So, okay. Telomeres, right? Yeah. So I, Cliff's noted it. Um, so telomeres are part of chromosomes and they mm-hmm. shorten every time a cell divides. Um, so the idea is that you inject people with a large amount. That's quote from like the organization, a large amount of um, viruses which are going to alter the the dna and hopefully repair the telomeres so yeah so i this is a vast
2: oversimplification but my understanding prior to reading this is the telomeres are why we age that they're this long to start and every time a cell divides the reason, which yep. it gets shorter and, and shorter uh, and shorter up till now irreversibly shortened it's just what happened yeah yep. they just there were just every now and then there was an error made and it was gone shorter, shorter 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 so the
1: solution is they're going to just inject you with a ton of viruses and hope that that is it a specific virus they've pinpointed? It's or?
4: a virus that's supposedly going to change the RNA in your body, which is then going to, you know, du- it plays a part in, like, DNA duplication. So I'm sure the science DNA is far beyond us. Listen, so I point. saw <laughs>
3: I Am Legend, and this sounds a lot like that, okay? We have a virus. It's
1: totally going to be great, guys. It's not going to make you zombies.
2: You'll live forever. You'll this live is forever. the good news. <laughs> yeah. You won't even need to eat anything other than the flesh of your neighbor. Yeah, it's, I... I
1: love anti-aging stuff yeah. i would never i'm i got a low risk tolerance for this i would never sign up for an experimental medical thing unless i was dying uh-huh. and it's an experimental cancer treatment then it'd be
2: worth becoming a zombie yeah
1: <laughs> i'm a healthy 45 year old i'm gonna pay a million dollars so you can just shoot me up with a virus now nah, i'll
2: wait till the fda approves this yeah you got time you got time that which is that's just smart that's just smart decision making. Who's signing right. up for this? That's what I want to know. Uh, older people that don't want to get older. I think at some point when you're you're eighty, you're, you're eighty, and you're just going, I'll give a million dollars. Maybe for this. you're fifty and your back hurts and you're this is and you're just yeah, like yeah. this sucks. <laughs> like no,
1: that makes sense. I guess I didn't it did I didn't think it was going to be that quick. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make us like the jellyfish that ages and then reverse ages. Basically. I, I
2: have no idea. There's so many different ways in which they're approaching the problem of death. It's crazy. Have you seen that?
1: Have you seen that? what are they called when there's a big image on the internet they take in information and they make it an image uh info oh, like a word cloud no something? an info something okay so just describe it to me well anyway it, this this thing which i'll try to get you to put on screen it had the 12 ways that humans are pursuing immortality
0: infographic, it's
1: fascin- infographic yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you it's fascinating it's become a cyborg freeze yourself in cryotherapy mm-hmm. Anti-aging. It's just all these different, and there truly are twelve ways that we are simultaneously pursuing immortality. It's yeah. fascinating.
2: Yeah, AI, right? Upload your consciousness somewhere else. Yeah, we talked about sir. We talked about having a a different set of organs just on ice somewhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> when your heart gives out. <laughs> just like all yeah, right. replicating pop your that, organs, pop that new guy stem cell.
1: It's fascinating. It, we really are running at immortality from all bunch of angles.
2: It it's was interesting because. Almost all of the philosophy over the last, that's been recorded, right? So 2,500 or so years, takes death as the essential problem. Even recently, Albert Camus was, was you know, this, the number one question is whether or not one should kill oneself. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily because of aging, it was because life is hard. But there's always been an understanding that at some point you will die. Mm-hmm. And does that give meaning to life? Does that take meaning from life? When you, if you could take that variable out, all of philosophy, not all, so much of philosophy then kind of loses its footing. And all of the ways that we've understood to be a human uh, begin to come undone. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and then we really
1: need to colonize Mars. Yeah, yeah. Unless we sterilize everyone that becomes immortal.
2: and then And then, yeah, what is the – then you really have to ask what's the point? Cause there's almost, it, we've gotten used to having a death at the end of things. And so, so the point is to, you know, create something beautiful and enjoy the moment, etc. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, that's not happening anymore. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, now what? Now, uh, what's yeah. the point? <laughs> like, I'm going to live forever. I got used to this whole dying thing. So that would be crazy, man. That would be like when Nietzsche said, death of God. This is, I would argue, even bigger than, than that breakthrough. But anyway, I'm waxing by myself here. So <laughs> 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 what else?
4: So now we have fan questions. Cool. Um, The first one, this one's pretty long, but um, it's very personal to the the commenter. So this one's from Starla Moore. Um, She says, I lost contact with my dad for about 10 years, age 16 to 26, due to a woman he was dating who felt spiteful about my overall existence. It's had a lifelong impact on on my emotions, trust, and ability to accept myself at the same time i'm also very grateful that i've needed to survive without the guidance of a father figure because i was able to build several amazing businesses by age 27 that otherwise may not have happened long story made very short my dad and this woman broke up a year ago i found this to be the perfect opportunity to reach out and he has since tried very hard to show his remorse for his actions over the past 10 years Hmm. however now that he's alone for the first time in his life he constantly reaches out to me for financial support and often refers to me as his rich daughter I've given him over 10K in the last year, I've hired him for small tasks in my business, and I've given him a car that I no longer drive. Through all this, there are still monthly emergencies where he contacts me to ask for money. I'm still stuck in a selfish place where for once my dad needs me, so I keep feeding into this toxic cycle. How would you cut the financial cord without severing the core relationship? Wow, that's so
2: hard. That is heavy. So, I mean, the the difficult thing that to summarize is that it sounds like your dad has never, not never, most of the time has never played the role of a father. Uh, meaning that he didn't put his daughter prior to his own new relationship. Uh, and now he's not playing the role of a uh, provider or someone who supports you. And not that he needs to pay for you, but or even takes care of himself. And you're in this weird role of like, the expendable friend is almost what it I imagine he, feels like he dipped out for 10 years.
1: Is that right? Yeah. What do you think? I mean, so I'm in over my head. I'm not going to yeah, lie. It's he- well, it's heavy. I mean, I will say I've seen from other people that un- unfortunately the money requests tend not to stop.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's something I've seen. For, I won't, I won't say how, but that, that will happen forever unless you do something. it's very, Infrequent that somebody comes to you with twelve emergencies in 2019 and then stops. (laughs) Gets it all together. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I've seen this happening for like a decade plus with with certain people in my life. So, um, I think you're thinking about the right way in the sense that you either have to cut him off or be prepared for a lifetime of
2: Mm -hmm. providing for him financially. So, so I think one of the things that we often do a similar structure is. To assume that you cannot make anyone change. Mm -hmm. And then within that understanding that there might still be some leeway, write down what your ideal relationship would be and perhaps even what an acceptable relationship would be. But equally as important, what an unacceptable relationship Mm -hmm. is. And this is going to be different for everybody. Some people are going to go, if my dad is present, I don't care if he just uses me as a bank. Uh, Yeah, $1,000 a month to have a dad to To have to talk to him, and even if it's uh, even if I feel used, that's worth it to me. Some people are going to go. I'm unwilling to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know where you fall, but I think getting clear at the line. So ideal is you know he never asks for money again. He we still love one another, connect as father and daughter, mm-hmm. and and that gets straightened out. Acceptable. This is what you have to decide. Might be he never asks for money again because I t- cut him off. And we no longer have a relationship because he's not interested in a relationship with me if I'm not buying things mm-hmm. for him. Uh, but what I would say with – yeah, is, is you got to uh, – on your own, I think, based on what's important to you, figure out what those three camps look like. And the big one is – I think the biggest question is, are you willing to give any money? I think it's almost easier to, to cap it at zero or <laughs> some – uh, and then if the answer is no, I'm not, then you go back to the other things which you talked about, which is you have a conversation with them. We often talk about how to have difficult conversations. Break the pattern, right? If you always talk on the phone at the same time, find a different spot. Say, hey, dad, can we take a walk? Uh, open him up a little bit. Say, this is tough for me. You know, preamble. This is tough for me. I don't know how to say this. I really value our relationship. And this scares me. You're gonna, you can unemotionally share your emotions at this part. And then say, I feel right i feel we often talk about this that when you ask this i feel this and then i feel this so in the future this is what i'm asking of you you know to no longer ask for money perhaps and this is how i will behave and it, and you don't even need to say if not because uh that's kind of implied and you'll decide what the if not scenario is earlier yeah
1: i think i shot a video on how to have tough conversations so all my tactical how to have a conversation that's difficult mm-hmm. my the best advice will be in that video in terms of deciding what to do i think one thing i would say is you are not obligated to do anything mm-hmm. i would try to get clear on your own values but one if other people are judging you for giving the money but you don't care don't let them influence you simultaneously if you Feel used but you think that it makes you a bad daughter to cut your dad off that is also complete bogus so mm-hmm. I would say do whatever you want to do from a place of desire mm-hmm. and not from a place of obligation or guilt because for my my impression based on your story is that you don't that neither is wrong mm-hmm. if you were to say my dad's in a really tough place and I have a ton of money and I'm gonna give him some amount that's meaningless to me because it gives us a relationship, I will. I would not judge you. Simultaneously, if you said this guy was gone for ten years, and I don't want to be the bank, and if he won't love me as a daughter, absent my financial resources, then I don't want him in my life. I would not judge you for that either. So, I would just say, to the extent that you feel there's a moral obligation to do one or the other, to the extent that I can free you of that,
3: <laughs>
2: you know, I would. Yeah, it's also important to keep in mind that whatever decision you make can be loving so you can lovingly decide i love my dad and that's never going to change because quite frankly it's really tough you can't turn off the way that you feel about your parents Mm -hmm. it just is there uh i love my dad i want what's best for him and i'm not going to ever give him another dime uh in in hope partially that he changes but also just because that's not good for me cuz mm-hmm. now i just resent him more that is that can be a loving decision i think sometimes we make the decision as if only one route were expresses were expressive of our loving someone mm-hmm. when there are occasions when the loving thing to do is is to say this can't be how we have a relationship. Yeah, yeah. both these forward. decisions come from love. I
1: love you, and because of that, I'm willing to support you financially. Mm-hmm. I love you, and because of that, I want to have a father-daughter relationship, and I'm unwilling to be a bank for you. Mm-hmm. They, they can both come from love. Yep.
2: So hopefully that helps, and, and I think it's good that we don't tell you which one to do, because we don't know. Uh, this is just a way to think about the problem. No, I could see a world where I did either. It would depend entirely
4: on how I felt about the person.
2: Mm-hmm. Good luck. It's hard.
4: What else we got? The next and last one is from another guy named Ben. Um, Two Bens. What up, Ben? Good name. So funny. It's about his name. He says, what would you do if you felt that your name was not charismatic and you have always felt uncomfortable when introducing yourself because of that? For instance, it seems that women are more drawn towards a Ben than they are towards a Gunther or Mortimer. That's why Ben switched from terrible. <laughs> just to clarify, that was not my experience for the first 22 years of my life.
2: I didn't see a lot of women throwing themselves at Ben's. I don't know any Gunters or Mortimers. I guess Rick and Morty is the only one that I could Morty. conceive of. So I do think that there are names out there that are tougher than others. For instance, if everybody calls you Dick because your name is Richard, that is just harder. Sure. <laughs> like that, but Charlie's a pretty... Whatever. Yeah, it's just whatever. Does the stream sex appeal? Most names are whatever. Yeah, I think, and then there are a handful that are Hunter, liabilities. Jack, you you love those ones. I do love those. Ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's some that are liabilities. So you have a couple of options, and I wouldn't deny that a name can be a liability. uh Poindexter, Poindexter. <laughs> so you could be you could go by initials, right? You do the AJ thing, the whatever. You go by your middle name. uh I think that's totally fine, and there's plenty of people that. At first, it's kind of a weird shift because all the friends are like, you're not this. But then you go to college and that is what you are. Or you go to a new workplace yeah, a new and job, that is yeah. what you are. Uh, I knew you, a guy
1: named Trey. I didn't know for four years that it wasn't his real name. He was just the third. Yeah. He got just called himself Trey and introduced, yeah. hey, what's up? Oh, hey, I'm Trey. That was his
2: name. Yeah. So uh, the good news is that this is completely within your control. I would say to pause, because you said Gunther. I don't think anything's wrong with Gunther. I could see Morty, but even Morty's, nah, Morty's fine. Yeah, Morty's, Morty doesn't seem that fine. It's it's almost got character. So, you know, I knew a guy in college named Yusuke and he yeah. crushed it. Everyone loved him. Yeah. You would think, oh, that's a weird name. It's Japanese.
0: Yeah,
1: He was in America and people yeah. thought
2: he was awesome. And And you also said Ben, which I think is such a it's such a normal american name you know like oh this is a good thing i wonder if you're not just trying to blend in or the person that you're thinking of doesn't just want to blend in uh it's overrated i think when i was little i wanted to be mike everybody was mike yeah. was, everybody was a mike michael jordan was mike we had a ben in my fraternity who didn't want to be ben because yeah. there were so many of us <laughs> <laughs> up by bk so i think uh at some point, you might learn to to like some of these. I mean, Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. Like clearly Hussein. Barack, Barack Hussein, Hussein Obama. Obama. So yes, you can change these sorts of things. But I would, I would come at it from a different angle. Yeah, this might be this might one one was... be one of the coolest things that you've been given. Is yeah. is this unique, this unique name. There's, there's lots of examples of this. And then there's also examples of, of weaker names where you could argue, okay, I'm going to go buy a pen name because it's going to make, you know, Stephen King or something like that, that, that makes it easier for me to sell books. But when it comes to meeting people, yeah, you could be a Yusuke, a Morty, a Gunter. Yusuke crushed. <laughs> Everyone loved Yusuke. Is there Gunther in the UFC? What's his name? He's the, the jujitsu dude that was friends with Gunner. 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 Oh, Gunner. Oh, that's, that's, that's a that's little. That's a strong different. name. Yeah. Strong name. Not a great example. <laughs> Gunther. Even Gunther I think is a cool name. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah i think most names you're gonna be okay yeah i agree anything else that's it cool thanks ladies and gentlemen that's it
0: (laughs) (laughs) thanks
1: for watching and listening